to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. So as we're, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, um, it's one continuous story. So we're, I'm going to put up the outline up there, and you can see, and I just made it very simple points. It's just flow. I didn't try to get real creative with um, catchy, uh, trendy words or anything, but just, just here's what the story kind of brings out at a natural reading. So the first thing there is just uh, we see it's a healing. Number one is it's a healing, which is God's work through the apostles. Um, and that's verses uh, one through eight. And, and I'm, I'm particular on the word through the apostles. That will eventually extend to the church, God, God's work through the church. But I also want to make a little bit of a distinction about this was initial, this was a foundational, you know, this is the first few days after the Holy Spirit. So this was the apostles. And there is a difference between those apostles and, and, and us, right? And so just be careful what I mean. They're, they're not like... Um, they're not like um, greater as far as that comes, but um, God did choose them specifically. And so there was, and the reason I mainly, as we go through the book of Acts, the reason I want to draw apostles, there was a lot of miracles, a lot of signs and wonders, as I've told you, as they went into new areas, this is the first time the truth of Jesus and his cross was going into new, to new areas. This was not understood, as we're going to see today. The Jews didn't even understand this. This was the Messiah. Jesus died on the cross, was on purpose, and it had to happen. And so the apostles would walk into areas like we're going to see today, and, and it just God would work miracles. And then people were drawn in and bewildered and kind of amazed, and then they just knew to... Now, just like Acts 1-8 said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell the people the story of Jesus. Your life's going to be about what my life was about. And so that's what we see here. God's work through the apostles, particularly here. Um, it's going to move to the church, but th that's the first one, just a healing that we see. Then the second thing is the response, um, the amazement and awe of the people. God does those things, draws our attention sometimes with supernatural things that happen. Um, it, the most supernatural, the most miraculous thing is taking a dead soul and breathe the Holy Spirit, breathing life into it, a former rebel now placed as a loved one in the lap of God. At the table of God, when you were a rebel, living for your own glory, your own sinful desires, and now embracing the Father. That's the greatest uh, spiritual, miraculous work ever done. More than any bones being healed, more than, than if we had the power to point at stars and cast them down. More powerful than that is a dead soul um, living for sin and Satan being transformed in the kingdom of light. That is a beautiful thing. That's something to give your life towards. That's something to live for. So just the amazement and awe that these people get caught up in. And God uses supernatural things like that to get a response so that people will listen because there's now integrity and authority with this message because this, this must be true. Look at this sign and uh, wonder that's happened. And so the third thing there is connecting the dots. I have the third point and the fourth point is just Actually, what Peter's doing, he's just connecting the dots, and he's reaching back and connecting stories from the Old Testament and, and going, I'm going to connect the dots for you. The reason this happened was because all of it was pointing to Christ. So he's being a faithful witness. Acts 1-8, we, we said that that's kind of the theme verse. And so it's, 
him actually just stepping up and going, hey, I didn't plan on this, but let me tell you guys the truth of what happened. Remember this, remember this, it was all pointing to Christ. Remember this, remember this, he, that was all pointing to Christ. Now look what God has done. It's proof that that was what God was working the whole time. And so the, and the fourth point, the same thing, connecting the dots, the story. But now he goes into a very specific redemptive play. And the reason I bring that out is um, as you think through people around your life, Hopefully, you have compassion, you're caring for them, and you want to hear their story. And as they begin to share their story, it's easy to fall into this trap of going, man, I really hear all the sadness you're going through, some rough life circumstances. Um, Or maybe, yeah, you've really had some bad choices, some very sinful things, and now there's some consequences. And if we're not careful, we, we, we modify the gospel to, you should accept Jesus so life will be better. Or if, if you would just accept Christ, he'll take those problems away. That, that's not what he came for. It, it may be your life gets worse. It may be your consequences get worse. But if you come to Christ, your sins will be forgiven. No matter what happens for you for the rest of this earth, you're, you have eternal life. Now, a lot of times it's much, much, much better, but we, we don't want to modify that story that the gospel is about your greatest life now, right? We want to make it know that the gospel is about Christ and what he's done in your place. And so make sure, and for you kids, as you go, the, the, the reason for church, it's about what Christ has done in my place. Just every week, reminding myself, you get off in a sinful place and a place very far and different from where you thought you would be, it's about what Christ has done in my place. And so I'm broken by that. I feel the guilt of that. I feel the shame. But, but again, he lifts my head up. And if I receive that and accept that, then I'm saved. I'm renewed. And he promises me eternal life and joy and change in that. And so that's what we're going to see in this story. Um, Peter's going to go through that. So let's look there at the first part, part um, verses 1 through 8 there. Um, and he's just looking again, just that idea. It, it's a picture of a healing And it's actually God's work, God's action through the apostles. So um, uh, Peter and John, notice this, that they're just going up to the temple. It says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now that means 3 o'clock p.m. because they started, it's kind of like Metro here, 6 6 a.m. is zero hour. You start at 6 a.m. and then when they talk about the third hour or the sixth hour or the ninth hour, it starts at 6 a.m. and so 3 p.m. So a regular, we're assuming church history tells us there's not a lot of backing on this. There's no scripture that says at 3 p.m. you must go pray. So again, you don't want to have a quiet time prescriptive, descriptive, and go like, oh man, I, I've got to, to be a really good Christian, uh, 3 p.m. is the time to shut down. It wasn't prescriptive, it was just descriptive. And so for whatever reason, maybe this is fishermen, and they, they kind of, hey, at 3 o'clock, we're, we're going to go to the temple. Notice also there, there was this gathering at the temple, um, and so that was early on for the church. As they done that, they, they, as they were doing that, they would go and they'd pray. Notice here, they didn't go thinking, hey, what would be really cool? What would grow the church? What could we ask even God to do here? Notice what's happening. Faithfulness. Faithful. I'm going to go pray because I'm really, really needy and dependent because Jesus left us. But he said, he left the Holy Spirit. He said for us to pray. Just faithfulness. Not a great plan. Not a great strategy. Let's be faithful. 
in my identity now, I know I'm connected to Christ, but I'm at the same time very dependent on God in prayer. So I'm just going to go pray. They go up to pray, and there's this guy there. And they, they meet at the daily, at the, and notice this, the man that, who was lame from birth. So you know this whole area over here, 61st in Peoria, a lot of people that are very broken, a lot of street people that are homeless, a lot of people. And so this would be someone that we would see regularly. We, we have a handful of people that our boys know, um, that, that they, they, they know, and sometimes they want to give them some food, give them some cash, give them some stuff. Uh, sometimes they want to pet their dog if it's a quick trip and different things. And so someone that you have seen for years and years and years, though, this is this person that was lame and that his whole life, they would drag him up there to this, this place and they would put him in the same place. So people, years and years and years, some people probably got frustrated with him and, you know, what, what's his problem? Some people were probably just felt sorry for him and didn't really do anything. And so, and for whatever reason, think about this part, God allowed this to happen. Are, are you okay with that also? God, God allowed this guy to be lame for all those years in a painful position. There's also other guys that this didn't happen to. They didn't get healed in this way. So remember that also. And remember, as we go through the book of Acts, when some of these things happen, um, just walk in the Gospels, when you read that Jesus healed someone, it doesn't necessarily equate that they're going to heaven now. Because we get to the end of the book of John, and John says that Jesus knew the hearts of men, and they were amazed by his miracles, but they didn't really fall in love with Jesus for, for who he was, that, that he didn't entrust himself to them. And so there's going to be those people that, that were amazed by miracles, but as Matthew says in chapter 7, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you never fell in love with me and understood the gospel. And so, so those are some realities. So just because a person's healed doesn't mean that they're saved. Um, Sometimes there's, there's pictures of this, like this guy, this would give evidence. He goes in praising God and giving glory to God. So some people say, you know, definitely he'd be a believer. But just keep that in mind. Um, there's this guy at this beautiful gate, and he's just asking for alms. And notice what Peter says here. Um, and so asking for alms, alms is just, just some daily um, uh, money and just saying, hey, would you, would you be able to spare some change? Would you be able to spare some daily money? And as he does, Peter says this. He says that you know Peter fixes his gaze, as did John. And he said, um, I do not have, or I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So just think about that. If you've ever been injured, so my back, when it goes out sometimes, if it's two or three days, it's miserable on day one and two because if you know it's usually five or six days, you're like, man, it's going to be really tough on day three and four and five or six. Or if you've ever broken something and had a cast for a while, or if you've had any kind of surgery and there's some recovery, um, anything like that, you know it's, it's, not, it's not like, hey, by, by four o'clock today, it's all going to be better. But imagine being a person who had, had number one, just not got to live the life. You get to watch every day as everyone else goes walking by. And that's a tough thing. Every day getting to see people ha you know, have a wife and children and go to work and, and do these things, and, and you're laying there lame. My next-door neighbor growing up, um, uh, her name was Irene, and I remember when they moved in the day, you know, you're a kid, and I was, I, I was probably six or seven, and I remember them getting out of the vehicle when they moved in, and she uh, had those, those uh, stirrup-type um, arm braces, and she had to walk, and she could barely walk. And so I learned after that she had Lou Gehrig's disease. And so when she moved in, um, she, um, she, she, she had to walk with those things. And then I remember she could talk normally, 
Um, but her, her, her voice was a little strained and she would sit up. And so I would go in their house and they had a son, they had a son that was a year older than me. And so I would go in and we'd hang out. So immediately you got a, a new neighbor who's a, a good friend and but his mom, you know, and I probably did, I probably just like stared sometimes, but she was so sweet. So nice. She was a follower of Christ. And so she then got to the point where she couldn't walk. And so it was, she was wheelchair bound. And then she would sit in a chair and she would take, she loved writing. And so she would take a, a pen or pencil and she had to uh, take, and she would put it in her mouth and she would bow her head to click on the typewriter things. No, no keyboards, no, you know, quick erase or anything. So she couldn't even use whiteout, but she literally would type stuff out using a pencil eraser in her mouth uh, to touch the keys on the typewriter. You talk about a long, arduous thing versus how, how, how quickly we do stuff, you know, and it, how, how we type. And then I remember at one point going over, and it was a big deal. And she went to the hospital for a while, and then she came back, and they had to put a, a, a tube in her throat. And so then she had to do that. And so they had to cover that to hear her talk. So there's air that come out of it. And so when they put their finger on it, then her, her voice, and it was really a rough voice. And so that lasted for like the next, you know, 16, 18 years, you know, just, uh, just seeing her. And every day she would lay in that bed and we'd go in there. And sometimes we'd be playing outside like kids or even, or, you know, 13, 14 years old and you're doing all this fun stuff. And, and, and her highlight was just where they would crack the, the, the blinds and they had a full-time person kind of caring for her and she would just sit and watch and she'd have this huge smile, enjoying just watching us run and play outside. And so, man, think through people that, that, Go through things like that in life. Think through. So this isn't just a, a little bitty case. There's a lot of people around us. And yet God, God in human flesh goes, I'm going to take time out for this person. It's not that she's more deserving, not, not that this guy's more deserving, but notice the compassion and the love of Christ in that. And so uh, and it's not even um, Jesus on the earth. And there's a lot of people that didn't get healed in those cities when he came. And here it was Peter and John. Again, no strategy, no let's grow the church. We just had you know, 5,000 people come. To, that Now the church is booming. Let's keep it going. Let's keep this trend going. They're just going to be faithful. And they go and says, hey, I, I don't have what you're looking for physically. Uh, as far as money, I got something much greater. And it's about Christ. Now, another thing that happens here is they don't initially do this. Um, there are probably a lot of bloggers really good pastors like myself who have been to theology schools and seminaries who could start tearing them apart because, man, what a weak gospel portrayal. Like, why are you doing this? Why didn't you just right, right then, you know, uh, share the gospel? Jesus come to die for your sins, and uh, you need to, in the name of Jesus, ask Jesus into your heart, and uh, that, that's what you need to do. Uh, there, there's probably a lot of pastoral blogs and mommy blogs who would rip this guy apart, uh, Peter and John apart, because they, did, they were kind of soft on sin with this guy. They didn't say, hey, how are your sins doing? They went for a healing. And so in our, in our day, you'd probably get ripped apart by that, but they're just being faithful. God did something that they weren't even planning on, something supernatural. And so I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I would give to you. In the name of Christ, rise up and walk. So he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. So think about if you're in that situation. You'd seen as a little six-year-old kid, a 10-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid, now you're 20 years old, and that guy that you had always seen sitting there, now he is in running around, jumping around. We'd probably say, hey, listen, you need to, someone get a hold of him, get him out of here. This is, And just think of that person, what that would be like to have Life going on outside of you, but you're not getting to participate. You're having, um, watching people enjoy 
relationships and food and all these things, and you're not getting to take part in that. And now Jesus comes and he changes everything. And now you're a part of it. And so if he, they're re, he's rejoicing and, and clapping and uh, praising God and all these things. And so we see there just a really quick picture of just God's healing. Um, and I think that one of the things that we need to think through for ourselves in prayer is sometimes we go to God asking for certain things, and God's going, I'm, I'm not worried about giving you that. I've got, I'd really love to see your heart change, though. You keep asking for this for months and months, but here, here's, here's what I'm wanting to do over here. Are you open to that? I need you to respond to this. I need you, I need you to really think about this, because you keep on listing out these things, and sometimes you're even frustrated that you're not getting these things, but here's what, I, what I'm trying to get you to see. And I'm using several things around your life to, to get that kind of heart change to come about. Because I'm concerned about you for eternity and concerned about you being like Christ around those people. And so, so that's for us. Then for us also, as we're, we're trying to live lives of ministry, right? Um, thinking through people around us. What are you offering people? Sometimes that the, the we could tell them, hey, so I've told you guys right now, the guys that surround my life for the most part, there's nothing I can offer them. There's nothing that I could help them with. So I, I've come to the point where literally there's about a handful of guys where one of the things I'm going to throw out to them is just, hey, so who's doing your funeral? And the reason I'm doing that is because they would say that they believe in the body of Christ and in a church being a close-knit people, but they're disconnected. They're not a part of a body of Christ. I mean, they, they may go and you know, check in and go to a service, and it's incredible, and it's, a, it's kind of a concert, but then they just get to check that. So who, who's going to stand up in front of your kids and your family and your wife or, or your husband and, and talk about your life? That he, I know from uh, evidence Here's how this guy lived. I think that's what the, the church sh should be like. I think that we should be a body of Christ where we're connecting that way, where we do have at least some people around your life who do know what's going on in your life instead of, I don't know, uh, Billy Bob, and he, we know that he had a track record. He did give some checks over the last few years, and so we're thankful. Let's, let's clap for Billy Bob. He's dead now. It's like that, That's not what you want. So I want to approach some guys going, on a deeper level. Hey, what really matters most? And so what is it that you're offering people around you? What you have is, is the story of Christ. Maybe it's just listening. What you have to offer is just listening to people for a while and, and then doing what this, this last part of this, what Peter does, just connecting the dots. So people are going to have needs around you, and we want to be able to notice, we want to be able to provide physical needs, but we also want to use that as an opportunity to get the eternal things to them. And so it's good to help in this way. And so notice that first thing is just, just a healing, no plan. They didn't even pray. Again, let's, let's tear them apart. Let, let, let's, let's, let's have a blog and 10 million other blogs uh, about how like these foul guys went and healed without praying first, without reading scripture first. I mean, Gospel Coalition or something, we, we could get some blogs out there about how this is wrong ministry. Do not do this way. God does not work this way. We have to do it this way. And yet God goes, I don't go by your rules. I have care and compassion, and I'm going to just shock this guy and shock the people around him with my salvation. And so um, notice that next step there, the people's amazement. Notice this. So um, the response of the people is the second thing there. Amazement and awe in verses 9 through 11. I'm not going to spend much time there, but it's, it's repetitive. Luke is wanting us to catch on here. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Again, we read over it quickly. What would you say? What would you say 
that afternoon if you saw this person. That, so I've got three or four guys that I kind of have talked to. Um, I found out one I really, <laughs> I even did the foolish thing. I like kind of really prayed about this guy and all that stuff. <laughs> and like he, he's out there on the corners and all this stuff. And I found out he's, he, he's probably, uh, truly, there's all kinds of mental illness. There's probably schizophrenia. There's uh, all kinds of uh, is, issues going on that are just cr- crazy to deal with. And so and I, you know, I'd prayed about it you know, several times and thought, man, it'd be great. And like I was like, oh, okay, he's, he's off the charts now. I mean, God can still do something. I, I'm still open to that. But like, it, I would be dumbfounded. I would be shocked if in a year's time, he's sitting there with you guys. You know, like, what, if you guys knew this guy, or, or three or four, any people that you've seen, in extreme circumstance, it, my next door neighbor, if she, she was raised up from that bed after 18 years or 20 years and was sitting in, in a service and walking around. So that would shock you. So when we read this, the people saw him, all the people, walking and praising God. And they recognized him. They knew him. That was that guy who sat at the beautiful gate asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11 goes with this. It kind of sets up. Luke is doing a, a, a complimentary to, to get into the, the next section there. But while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. Again, all the people are utterly astounded. They ran together to them to the portico called Solomon. So think through this. And so you've got this healing that God does. Then you've got the response of the crowd. And then notice what, what, what Peter goes into. So you see this beautiful picture. And this is where Peter begins to connect the dots. So the reason I broke it down into the healing and then the response of the people is I believe that in our lives, um, you're just being faithful. You're, you're just trying to live a Christian life. And so sometimes you get a response of a coworker. You get a response of a, a family member. You get a response. So we need to pause and think through. That sometimes can be combative. That can sometimes can, can be a, a, a kind of a frustrated like attack on you. Sometimes it can be a curious thing where they're asking questions. But we need to be aware of people around our life like, like Peter did. Because what happens here is Peter sees the response of the people. And that's what prompts Peter to, I guess I need to connect the dots. I need to connect the stories and point all the stories to Christ. So notice what Peter does here. He says, and when in verse 12 there, in that third part, just connecting the dots, he's a faithful gospel witness, which remember, Acts 1.8 is, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Luke is trying to show us, I told you this was going to happen. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. And now they didn't even plan this. And you know, all these people have been saved. We saw in chapter 2 the, the, the tongues that happened and all the different things. And then we saw the church grow. We saw, and Andy brought out last week about how the church grew together and was caring for one another in radical generosity, radical community and care. And, and now they're not even planning this. And this happens. And Peter pauses, sees what's going on, and goes, oh, I need to connect the dots for these people. Sometimes our role is connecting the dots for people. Um, so let's look at that. Um, the third area there, just a faithful gospel witness. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we've made him walk? So notice there, was it Peter and John who did this? So remember Luke, the author, if you go back and he says, hey, Theophilus, remember in the gospel of Luke, I made an account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. I'm going to continue in the book of Acts, Theophilus. 
And now Jesus is lifted up, but it's still a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach. We're seeing Jesus still work. So this is clearly not John and Peter. They're clarifying, hey, people, don't stare at us like we're the ones. This is Jesus. And so um, they're, they're just making sure. Let's not give credit to us. Let's make sure that we're pointing back to Christ. Um, he says, men of Israel... Um, and, and notice this, the men of Israel, he noticed this was a Jewish crowd. He knew and understood what kind of crowd this was. This is mainly a Jewish crowd, not a Gentile crowd. And that's what he says, men of Israel. And then notice that he, he, he goes into this story that they would understand the kind of the, the topics that he's talking about. Um, and so in that, as he goes to this faithful gospel witness, um, Peter begins to tell a little bit of a story, but if you back out of it, you zoom out, Luke is wanting the church for ages to come to see the bigger picture. Luke is writing a bigger picture and a bigger story about how God's process of gospel redemption. And so he's going to do that through the book, the whole book of Acts. Um, what if we were a people that got really good at connecting the dots with people? What if we got really good at listening truly listening, and not so much arguing and fighting and casting stones, but, but listening and going, hey, let me connect the dots for you about this. And so there's a popular thing in Christianity right now, and we're kind of known for this, that that's, we kind of take this attitude over here in this posture instead of just, hey, let me connect the dots or remind you this is that, and so there's this posture that they go into here. And so he knows that it's, it's, it's Jewish people. And so he says, men of Israel, let me go back and connect the dots. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So think through that. Um, who was that to them? If you think through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these are big, big heroes of the faith for them, right? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were given the initial promises, so this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 in the Abrahamic covenant. And so where he said, hey, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Um, you're going to have to leave your, your, your father's household and your people, and you're going to go to where? To a land that I'm going to show you. And they were way out east, um, and they had to travel all this way. Not, not hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you where you get to stop, but just keep going to the land I'm going to show you. So it was a journey of faith. And they get there, and he said, I'm, and you're just a small group of people, but I'm going to turn you into a tribe of people, a nation of people that is not even existing right now. That's going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And so just multiple people. And so then he says, you're, I'm going to give this um, beautiful covenant to your, your sons and their sons and your grandsons and all these things. It's going to pass down through generations. And so we kind of learned that that was the, the Jewish people, Israel, right? And, but we know also that when Christ came, that there is not just people that were of Jewish heritage that are saved, it's those who are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is not just for Jews now and people of Israel, it is for Gentiles. And so they're going to be getting into this. And so a beautiful picture, but for the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're heroes of the faith. And he goes into this real clearly. He says, um, the God who, who did that, he has glorified the God of our fathers, big, big deal for them, he glorified his servant, Jesus. And notice the term that he, he uses. He, he's talking about this word glorify, which is exalting something, but then he also at the same time uses the term servant because they did view those, those people as exalted, but yet servants for their faith. Those who had lived previously and prior to them that had laid out the foundation of their Judaism. And so he's saying, 
he glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. So right there, that, that could be blasphemy to this crowd. Like you don't call a person holy. Only God was holy. And he just said, you, you, you're the one who turned your back on the holy and righteous one. And probably he wrote, I didn't go and research this, so sometimes that, that, that term there can be, um, and I, I don't know if the ESV used it, but that can be uh, close to the word that they would use for the anointed one or Messiah. And I don't, I don't think it actually is. I didn't actually go and research this one in the Hebrew. But, but that is who, when you say holy and, and righteous one, there's only one like that. And so that, that's usually the anointed one, the one sent from God, Messiah. And I don't think this actually, the wording goes there, but that, they understood that uh, synonymously. And you asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. So think through that. You, you, you Jewish people, you have done this. And it was the hand of God. He was sovereign over this. But you killed the author of life. So he does this word play. And so he goes, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And so there's this, this picture there that um, you, you let a murderer, one who steals life, Barabbas, go. The guy who takes life, broke the Ten Commandments, you let him go. The true author of life, the one who created you, you killed him. But God, in his power, he rose him from the grave. He brought life to the dead. So those are, those are paradigm shift. Again, you're freaked out by the guy who was you know, wanting, asking for some money that you've seen your whole life. That's a distraction. And now he's up walking around praising God. And now Peter starts telling you, like, hey, you guys are responsible for this. This is a crazy, crazy. Crazy story. He says, to this we are witnesses, Acts 1.8. We're telling you we are eyewitnesses to all of this. Um, and it's by his name, faith in his name, that has made this man strong. Whom You, you see him now. And so all this talk about faith. Um, the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. If... We are a people who are listening and, and compassionate, and we're able to be a people who are able to share the, the, the beautiful truths of Jesus at a, a deeper depth. That's what our people, that, that's what the American church is missing. That's what the people around us, lost people. Um, deep things of the heart is what this country, it's what this culture are missing. I've, I got to hear a thing is the. Um, is the Peterson guy, and he was doing an interview with someone. But the guy was not speaking on political terms. He was speaking about, here's what's missing. And he was right on about the depth of some things that were, were missing. And he wasn't trying to play on the rich or the poor or social injustices or, or oil or gas. or he, he wasn't trying to play on these hot topic things or gender issue. He was going, no, here, here's what's missing. And he is exactly right. The deeper things. If you, if you become a person who can talk about those deeper things of the heart, well, then we can get into those other discussions. Those make sense once you get this established. If you want to start fighting on the outskirts about the 10 surface issues, if you want to just fight about that for 10 years of your life and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight, you murdering, horrible, ridiculous, stupid, idiot person because you believe in abortion, spend your 10 years, spend your 20 years. Speak to the heart about what's really going on. What, what, Tell me where you landed on that. What what makes and so let's go to some deeper things because I see that you appreciate life and you could go into an apologetic thing about like man your your actual ideas is saying that that man I see the deeper issue there that that it's about life the the woman's right to life the woman's right to her choices start there 
and compassion and care and understanding. So let's go to the deeper things in life instead of standing across the street from people just throwing bricks at one another. And so Jesus would have been like, hey, let's go to the deeper things. Peter is going to the deeper things of life with these people saying, hey, you know these things. This connects. This is something deeper than just these issues. Um, the gospel and Jesus changes everything. It offers something deeper. Um, and he says here, I, I have no silver or gold, but I give you what I do have. And so there's this offer of eternity. There's this offer of not only physical change, but an eternal change. Um, he goes on and gets more specific in the last section there, 17 through 26. He says, hey, you acted in ignorance in verse 17. Um, that's the fourth thing there, the, the connecting the dots. He goes into this more um, specific redemptive plan of God. You acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. And notice that he goes there and he says, um, if you are a person that understands the Jewish culture, if you're a person who understands what, what Israel puts their faith in, what Israel is really big on, you would not be amazed at this healing. You'd, you'd be amazed at how God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, how he raised Jesus from the dead. And that's his argument. You're, you're getting amazed at this healing, this side thing. I'm telling you, what you're needing is Jesus being raised from the dead. That's what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were looking to. The God who comes to them, the covenant, the covenant that you treasure, the people and the heritage you treasure, all comes to what Christ has done. That's what he's getting to. Um, be amazed at that because his resurrection, what he just said there, God raised him from the dead, the guy that you had slaughtered, God raising him from the dead, that's the focal point. That's what you people need to understand. Be amazed at that. His resurrection speaks of why he had to die. You guys know the story of Abraham and Isaac. And they're thinking back, Abraham and Isaac, context. What was Abraham and Isaac? Oh, hey, Isaac, come on, we're going to go sacrifice. Let's walk up this hill. You guys stay here. Hey, Isaac, come here, we've got to blindfold you. Crawl up on the altar. Not a good day, right? Like, Dad, you're, you're seeming a little crazy here. And so Abraham, trusting, taking the knife, takes the knife out. What happens? You see a picture of a father being held back and not sacrificing his son, being told that instead there's going to be a substitutional lamb given. So in this picture, the father of the whole nation gets the whole back and doesn't kill. What's the picture that we're telling you about Jesus, all you Israelites? The father goes ahead and kills his son for your sake and for your sins. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac. You know the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, the story of God's promise to Abraham. Through your offspring, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. What did he mean by that? That people on the earth, different families, different individuals, would have the opportunity at free salvation. Something that, that, that no cost to them. They couldn't earn it. They couldn't keep it. But at, at the expense of God, you're getting salvation. All the families of earth will be blessed through one of your offspring, Abraham. That's who we're talking about. You guys know the story of our repeated sin all through all the Old Testament. You guys know that and, and God's steadfast love that continued to come. And he always wanted to bring us back, always bring us back. You guys know the story of, of our prophets, that the Messiah, the Christ, would bring us salvation and eternal life. You guys know the story, and we're telling you it was specifically in this man Jesus that you had crucified. So 
Um, when you think through that, um, they had to they had to understand what that what that looked like. Um, in, in verse eighteen, he says, "But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled." So he's going. So God had told us through all these prophets that His Christ would suffer, and here comes this the suffering Christ, and you didn't even understand the picture there. The Son suffered. The Father suffered. So we think of verses like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. We think of um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, That for our sake he, the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin in your place so that you could become the righteousness of God, so that you'd be reconciled to God. Um, He slaughtered the innocent lamb, his Christ, so that we would have not only physical attempt at healing, but that our souls would be restored and renewed. Um, holiness dipped into guilt, the greatest tragedy ever, holy God being killed by dark and sinful people, and then God has an answer for that. I'm going to bring him back from the dead in the resurrection. Um, the, the story of the cross, we know that Jesus' last words up there, why have you forsaken me? What's that a picture of? Why, did, why have you forsaken me that I'm now, I've absorbed the sins of the people. I've absorbed your wrath. I've taken on your wrath so that us sitting here in Tulsa will never have to be forsaken. That we, we will never be forsaken because of what Christ has done in our place. Um, and Peter says to him, so repent therefore. Turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out. And I know that as we're at this place in kind of our cultural moment, that that, that just repent and, and turn back to God. Notice what he says, that your sins may be blotted out. That, that just doesn't seem enough in a world where things are changing so swiftly and things are changing so fast that, that we really get to the point where we're just like, well, I don't know that that's exactly covering all that I wanted. Uh, what about my life? What about this? What about the economy? What about these nations? What about our health care? What about all these different questions? And, and so... We've got to get to the point where we're not allowing those things to dictate how life is going. I know all the frustrating, fearful things out there, but for us inside the church, he's calling us, just repent. Trust in me. I've I've got a plan. I've got a sovereign plan. Just repent. Keep your heart softened to me. I want to keep you near to me. You repent. You turn back to God. Um, and notice what he says in verse 20, that times of refreshing may come. Man, do you feel like there's a, a time where people need refreshing? Uh, is there a nation of people that need refreshing? Even us in America, we're still going on, but there are places all over that they, they need refreshing in the Lord. And where does it come from? Repent. Turn back to God. Turn back to God, and there's refreshing that comes. Um, Anyone feels like, man, there's people around me that, that need that? My own life? I, I need that? He's got refreshing that may be there. Um, he, he went on on his second little case of saying, you guys remember Moses. So now he's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now he goes to Moses, uh, just you know, the, the one who they, they exalted in so many ways, um, the one who was given the law of God. 
He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Messiah, from your brothers, and you shall listen to whatever he tells you. Um, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet will be destroyed from the people. And then all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, and then those who came after him, they all proclaimed these days. So they're sitting there watching this happen, and they just they, some of them got to experience what happened in Jerusalem at the cross. They experienced what was happening with tongues. Now they're experiencing these healings, and Peter's saying all of those things. This is what Moses and Samuel and all the prophets spoke about. So um, it says, brothers, um, God told us he was coming. All of that is about these days. Um, as, he, as he ends up there, um, he says, um, in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed, talking about his, his covenant that he made with Abraham. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And so again, this was inside language for the Jews. He, says, he gave you this message first. Now what's shocking about this, I have to confess, is when you go through the book of Acts, it quickly turns. It's a number of years, but it, when he says this word first, he's, he's clarifying this to you first. There's a quick turn from the Jews to where there's, there's a hardening that Romans talks about and some other places talk about, a hardening of the Jews to where salvation to the Gentiles is grafted in. It's hard to understand, but he makes it clear here. He's telling you this to you first, and you have an opportunity for salvation. And so he, he doesn't say here, but other places it says there, there's a hardening that's coming to you Jews. And we should be a people just in awe of that. We were not of the ones who were given the law. We were not of the heritage and the offspring of the physical um, Abraham. We are grafted in as Gentiles, sitting here and speaking English in 2023 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So Acts 1-8, witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're the furthest point from that. And look how blessed, look how wonderful uh, of a place that God has given us. And so we can just trust in the same way. Let's be a people that are faithful and like Peter and John, just being a people of prayer, being a people knowing how to care for those around us and being able to point them to Christ, hearing what's going on in their life to then connect the dots and be able to point them not to your life will get better. That reward is the treasure there. The God there is you. Um, my, me and my life, my desires, oh, your life's going to get better if you take this little card, this product I'm selling to you, Jesus. No, Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is everything. God is the reward. And in that, your life may get better. Finances may get better. Uh, if you're a person who's stolen from your company and now you receive Christ, well, you, I may visit you in jail now because you stole from your company. doesn't mean that you, he's going to remove you from that, but, but now you have eternal life. Be joyful in prison. Paul was. Peter was. And so those things, lots of people have great things. So it doesn't necessarily remove those consequences, but now you have this life this eternal life. And so um, that's what he's bringing out here with them. And so we're going to see them continue to track through that. Um, I, I'm not going to go into it today, but um, this is the, the and what, what becomes clear here on a big picture is old covenant moving to new covenant, a clarification. This is what Jeremiah spoke of. And, and so this is, this is the new covenant. So what we do is we participate in the Lord's Supper every week. We do that. And so if you remember, Jesus gathered his disciples the night that he was betrayed. And he said, hey, take this cup and drink of it. It's my blood. 
And they're like, that's really, really weird language. And then take this bread, it's my flesh. And remember those first few years, there would be little small groups happening in people's houses. Like, hey, hey, you've heard about that meeting we're having in our house? I'd really love for you to come. There's some really nice folks here that come over. And so we partake in Jesus' blood and Jesus' flesh. And so and we have a meal together and like, hey, you lost me. Like, I'm not coming. You start talking about the dead guy that we saw crucified. It was an ugly picture. His mom was crying. All his guys uh, betrayed him. And now you're talking about, did, you, did y'all take his body somewhere? Because I've heard different stories. Some people said he ascended to heaven. Some people said they saw him afterwards. Some people said that the Jews took him. And, and that sounds like you. I mean, to be honest, it sounds like you took your part of the group that took his body, the Jews, and now you're, you're dicing up his body and his blood and you're still partaking of that. And that was, that was part of the deal. And so this is a picture that Luke's painting of old covenant it is no longer there, that the new covenant has come. And so this is what we participate in the Lord's Supper. And so as we do that every week, we want to just, again, come to this time of, of resting at the end where we're, we're, we're experiencing renewal of heart. We're looking at what we have done. And for, for people that have not partaken of, of Christ, we'd say, hey, don't partake of the Lord's Supper. First, partake of Christ. And so um, this week, I hope that we'll, we'll begin to see in some of these other chapters, um, Luke is going to start laying in uh, the pictures of that new covenant. It becomes more clear. Other New Testament letters bring that out also. But um, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I wanted to give you just a couple moments as Brad comes up to strum and play lightly, just to give you some time to think through just that, that, that where's your heart at with Christ? You may come to church going, Here, here's what I want Hey, this week. Hey, God, here's what we're praying about. And God's going, hey, here's what I'm offering you. Spend some time with me. Think through your heart, where your heart's at with Christ. Spend some time looking at um, the reality, I'm not trying to do that to crush you. I crush my son so that you could have renewal. And it's just wasting our time if we're just check marking a box and coming to a service if we're not doing um, the time of, of spending time with the Lord and asking him to change us. And so whatever you've been in this week, whatever you've been in this month, whatever your plans are this next week, anxieties, fears, or just enjoyable sin that you're thinking of getting into, hey, he's going, I want to do work with you. Trust me with that. So I'm going to give uh, just a couple minutes uh, for you to pray and just spend some time as we look at this section where he says, hey, repent, turn back to God. Little bitty ways and big ways, um, big things. Um, I want to give you some time to do that, and then we'll protect the Lord's Supper.